This is Barry Adams, host of the Law Made Easy podcast, and this is my podcast on choosing a trustee for your living trust. Previously, I've addressed the need for a revocable living trust in my podcast entitled Estate Plan Basics, The Four Building Blocks. Now let's talk about what I think is the most important and challenging aspect of your living trust, choosing the right trustee. Why is this so important? Because the nature of the living trust means that there is no court supervision or oversight. Therefore, if you choose the wrong person to be your trustee, there can be some serious issues that arise. Now, of course, while you're alive and competent, you're the trustee. And you or you and your spouse or partner are the trustee. So there's usually no issue in that case. However, if you die or become incompetent, somebody else is going to be the trustee. And that's what I'm talking about in this podcast. So let's talk about the qualities that you need to look at in selecting your trustee. First of all, available time to perform the job. Well, everybody's busy in this uh, 21st century. There's demands of job, family, and, and, and the like. So you need to look at uh, the people that you may be choosing. And do they have the time? Do they uh, live close enough to you? Are they geographically uh, available? Are they going to have to fly out from a, a long distance? And again, this is uh, all of these qualities and these things where we're looking at, these change from time to time. The person you have selected may live next door to you, but if they move away, you have to look at whether they can still continue to do that job. So it's something that may need constant updating. All right, the second quality is can they handle difficult business and financial decisions? When you die, your trust needs to be executed. It needs to be administered. That involves difficult business and financial decisions. These decisions include selling your house, uh, selling your stocks, liquidating items. Um, there's a lot of things to do uh, because we're talking about taking everything that you own during your life and liquidating it. That's, that's a big job. So they need to be able to handle these difficult business and financial decisions. They need to be able to get along with others, both in and outside the family. They have to deal with professionals, and they have to be able to get along and communicate to them. They also have to be able to get along with the family members. If there's one or two members in the family they don't even speak to, this can be a difficult task. And as an adjunct to this, they also need to be willing and able to treat all beneficiaries respectfully and fairly. That's part of the responsibility of a trustee, and it's a part that can be uh, lost and forgotten in the context of sibling or other kind of family disputes. They need to have their own, the next one is they need to have their own personal financial responsibility. In other words, you need to pick somebody that doesn't have problems uh, managing their own finances. The question would be, if they can't manage their own finances, how are they going to manage your finances. And that may include times when you're incompetent and they're actually managing your financial assets um, while you're alive. But also it means managing your financial assets when you're deceased. And those are all the instruments and, and financial um, accounts that you may have. They have to be able to uh, manage those things. If they can't even manage their own assets, why would you put them in charge of yours? 
seems obvious, but you'd be surprised at how many times this ha happens. So you need to make sure they don't have bankruptcy uh, issues. They haven't been in bankruptcy or imminently going into bankruptcy. They don't have large personal debts. They don't have child or spouse support obligations that aren't being met. They don't have tax liens. All these things can potentially cause problems in their role as trustee and can sometimes um, involve creditors trying to attach the trust, even though that isn't technically available. It's possible that their share could be attached. So the final quality is, is uh, I say, saint-like qualities do come in handy. If you have somebody who's uh, up for a saint award, such as Mother Teresa, uh, who's no longer with us, but uh, and what, by that I mean that a trustee job is a sort of a thankless job. You do all this work, you get this thing done, and the beneficiaries are sitting around going, well, gee, why did it take so long? They don't tend to understand how much work it is and the inherent difficulties that are involved. So saint-like qualities, patience, and uh, perseverance, um, and a general sunny disposition, all these things certainly come in handy but are not completely necessary or always available. Next thing I want to talk about is what are your options in choosing this trustee, this person, your manager? I mean, a good term to use for trustee, some people get confused. I like to use the term manager. I don't use it in my documents, but it's a good way to look at the role of the trustee. So they're the manager of your assets. They make sure that your assets are being properly managed, that if you have rental properties, rent's getting paid, uh, they they have to do all the things that a manager or a business would do. So that's what, think of trustee, think of manager. So who are your trustee selection options? Can have your children. And that's probably the most common type of a selection. And the children are usually beneficiaries. And this works fine in situations where people are getting along. In, in situations where the children don't get along, it's horrible. The single biggest part of litigation in my practice right now is siblings that just can't get along. Whether they're co-trustees and can't make decisions together and we have either one person taking over to the detriment of the other person or we have some kind of a deadlock situation. Possibility is with children is that they, they have one sibling who's the trustee and he doesn't get along with the other ones and he's sort of lording it over them and making decisions that irritate them on purpose. So think long and hard about which child will be the best, whether you want co-trustees and or whether you want a sole trustee. The second pot of people to choose from would be trusted family members, non-beneficiary. This could be a parent, an uncle, a sibling, somebody who's not a beneficiary. In that situation, I really think you need to look at a few issues. One, uh, is this person willing to do it? Do they really want to get enmeshed in your family drama? Two, are they really available? Do they have the time to do it? Are they too far away? Finally, do they really, will they really be in a situation of trying to work this out, or are they just going to throw their hands up and say, it's not worth it, it's not my problem, I'm getting out. Also look at things like age. If you name somebody who's about your age, make sure you name up some backups too because um, the likelihood is that they won't outlive you by a long 
amount of years, so you have to really look at what are your alternatives if they can't do it. It can be a good option. I have seen it work, I've, but in my, in my experience, at least, I've seen a lot of aunts and uncles begin this task and then just get so disgusted that they quit. It's certainly something you would want to talk to this trusted family member about before putting them into this situation. The next one would be uh, a corporation, a corporate trustee, or a bank. So it could be a trust company, it could be a bank who has a trust department. In olden days, this was very, very common, in fact, uh, almost required in certain larger estates to have a trust company that could continue these kinds of trusts for generations. However, uh, at this point in time, the problem with the banks is that they want to make money off these kinds of things. They're a more diversified institution than they used to be, and they tend to only want to do these kinds of things if they can, uh, if they're fairly simple. And we're just talking about investments rather than a lot of other work, like selling houses and things like that. And of course, there's certainly an, um, a formal nature to this, a non-family nature that can can result in problems and uh, a lack of caring about what happens within the family and more of a business decision. I'm not knocking them. I'm saying certain situations that can be very good. Um, and of course, they're going to be around usually. So if you have a trusted bank, that can work. But I would really encourage you to talk to the people uh, in that bank trust department and get some uh, referrals to people that have you utilized that bank and make sure that uh, there really are um, uh, some uh, kind of institution that you feel you can trust and that other people are relying on. The final uh, possibility really is a private fiduciary. What's a private fiduciary? It's such a strange word. Well, what it really means is somebody who many of these people used to work at banks, but now they're individuals who are licensed by the state in which they practice to simply be fiduciary. So that means they're a trustee of people's trust. They're executors of people's will. They can serve as conservators, agents. They handle money. They handle these business transactions. This is what they do for a living. And they're a great uh, source uh, for people who really work out well. The only problem is, again, we're dealing with an age situation. You're naming a person, and that person needs to be around. They need to outlive you. If you're looking at the fiduciary and they're 60 years old and you're 40 years old, the likelihood that they're going to be around to do your estate is not very high. So you really need to look at the age and stage of this fiduciary. And you may want to put some kind of clause in there that allows um, another person uh, that you know to select a professional fiduciary to have a default clause that um, allows some person to... Uh, select a professional fiduciary in your community. Again, this is usually going to be a situation where we know people are not going to be able to get along and we're going to rely on this professional fiduciary. So um, that's something you should talk to your attorney about, uh, about a clause that may be a kind of a savings clause if the fiduciary or fiduciaries you select are not around at the time of your death. Okay, I wanted to go into co-trustee issues now and why I tend to really uh, be against co-trustees and to uh, advise most of my clients um, to avoid these like the plague. They can work. If people get along, they can work. However, I find even in the situations where they work, it's usually 
one person doing the work and the other person just going along with it. It's very hard to do these things together. It's very hard to divide up the work. Um, it, again, it can be done, but I have found it in very few circumstances where I found that two co-trustees rowed the same amount. And by that, I mean rowing the boat. Usually one person is doing most of the paddling. So, what are the co-trustees' issues that you need? Do they have a long-standing relationship that just makes it impossible for them to get along? Be honest about this. Don't just say, oh, I'm sure it'll work out fine. Usually, uh, when you sense a problem, there's going to be a problem. And, the, and I say to people, when the parents die, the family goes from a hierarchy, a hierarchical structure, to anarchy. Because what happens many times is the siblings are trying to figure out, without their parents, who's in charge. The parents are no longer in charge. So oftentimes, one of the siblings wants to assert themselves at the, as the leader. And if the others fight that, then you have a problem. So let's go through the co-trustees issues, potential for conflict, as I've mentioned. Delays that are inherent in having two people make decisions and also just having to sign things twice, especially if they're not in the same geographic location. As stated before, usually one trustee does all, all or most of the work. There's a potential for deadlock, disagreement. And then also, finally, additional legal expenses. These are, you know, everything about communications uh, can double. If you are going to go forward and do co-trustees, I really recommend that you do an odd number of trustees. Obviously, four would not work. Then you have a dead lock because you have two and two. So what I recommend is an odd number of trustees uh, if you're going to do it and that you have some kind of a tiebreaker methodology, a vote or whatever it might be. Make sure it doesn't have to be unanimous. Is that, you know, it's, if they're not getting along, you're not going to get unanimity. All right, so finally, uh, those are... My thoughts on the co-trustees. Let's go over in summary uh, how to choose a trustee for your living trust. Choose the right trustee by being realistic about your choices and the people involved. Don't hide your head in the sand and hope that everything is going to be okay. If you feel like there's going to be a problem, there will be. Trust me. You need to weigh the pros and cons of each of these people and look at uh, who's going to be the best. There may not be a perfect trustee, but try to choose the best and make sure you have alternatives, at least two alternatives to the person that you choose because somebody could die, somebody could be out of the area, out of the country, and not be able to do it. So have backups. If there's family disputes, you know that these people, your children or whoever it is, are not going to be able to get along, think about a professional fiduciary. Again, try to avoid co-trustees. If you must, use an odd number. Finally, the trustee you choose must have available time, ability, geographically convenient, and ability to get along with others and be able to handle difficult financial and business decisions. Thank you for listening.